Save us, sweet court sports. Basketball makes its return in just the right time here in Nebraska, and alongside volleyball, these court sports may be the only things to save Husker fans from the long and dark winter ahead. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Scarlet Fever. This week, we tackle the abysmal college football weekend that is behind us and give you an idea of just how bad our picks were from last week in 1-2-NU. Spoiler alert, we went right back to really bad again. Nebraska Volleyball suffered a close loss on the road against Minnesota. The Huskers are now ninth in the ABCA poll and have another big set of matches this week against Rising Power Illinois and 7th ranked Ohio State. And finally, Nebraska men's and women's hoops have made their return to PVA. What are our thoughts on the exhibitions that have taken place this week, including big wins for the men's program against Colorado on Sunday and the women's program against Midland on Monday night? You'll find out what our thoughts are next, plus a discussion on the NCAA. That's all coming up here on Scarlet Fever. Hey, y'all, welcome back to another episode of Scarlet Fever. Beaver. You can follow Landon on Twitter at Landon Wirt, L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T. You can find me, your host, at Hanson15 underscore Hanson, H-A-N-S-E-N. Don't forget, this is a daily Nebraskan podcast, so give at Daily NEB and at DN Sports a follow for all your campus news from the students who live it every day. And another week, Landon, and winter is coming. Winter, winter feels like it's basically already here today. The, the death of spooky season is officially, officially upon us, sadly. Yes, yes, and it, it just means that the real, the hard times, the hard times are upon us. So, here we go, this little weird stretch before Thanksgiving, not where fun. it's just cold. It's just cold all the time. Not fun to be a student, not fun to be, you know, it's a weird time to be a, a college sports fan. Just yeah. not, none of it is good. None of it well, is good. and yeah, everything else seems to be going somewhat poorly. Uh, well, at least everything on the, on the football field. But outside of it, I mean, things are okay. We'll talk about that. We'll get into that with you today. Uh, but first, we'll start the show like we always do. The best thing we saw this week. Landon, your selection for week number 11. Yeah, uh, so I've lived in the North Bottoms now in a house pretty close to campus for a year and a half. Moved in officially in May of 2020. Last year, because of COVID-19, there, were no, there was, like, really no trick-or-treating. There were no trick-or-treaters. Like, people weren't around in the neighborhood. And I was kind of bummed because, I mean, I've never had that experience of, like, technically being a homeowner and handing out, you know, candy to kids on Halloween. And this year, there were not very many trick-or-treaters because the North Bottoms is mainly a college neighborhood. But we did get a group of, like, little kids, and it made me so happy. It was so awesome. They were all dressed up. There was, like, a group of five or six of them and uh, an adult that was with them. They were so cute and little, and they were all dressed up. It made me very, very happy. And getting to hand them candy on Halloween was really cool. We were just sitting by our front door waiting for trick-or-treaters all night, and we only had one group. But the fact that we had trick-or-treaters made me very happy, and it was a cool experience to be on the other side of that perspective. So I would say that getting uh, to hand candy out to the little children of the North Bottoms on Halloween was pretty cool. So that was the best thing I saw. What, uh, what were their costume selections? Yeah, we had a witch. Um, we had a couple fairies. Uh, and I think a cowboy was in there, too. Okay. There was a lot of them, so it was hard to, like, make... Like, I was just so excited that it was hard to look at all of them. But I, I remember a couple. But that was really cool. So I enjoyed that. Well, not to make... Uh, I have, like, two kind of this week. Um, so and not to make every episode my best thing is going to be, like, Grant's movie review. Uh, but I saw Dune this last weekend with the family. Um, 
and it was really good. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I think so. I, I'm a sucker for like really, really well done sim- cinematography and music. So even if something moves really slow, if it's shot really well and has some really good music behind it, uh, I really appreciate that. And so there's a lot of that in Dune. There's a lot of freaking really cool shots. Um, there, are, some of the explosions are just like top tier like stuff. Um, and of course, that's not the only thing. But yeah, I mean, it was a really, really well shot film. Um, it was it was definitely slower, but like I said, for me, that's okay. And when it did become intense, quote unquote, it was um, certainly really fun to watch. So um, excited for Dune Part Two. Very excited for Dune Part Two. And my second thing, gotta go with walking into PBA. I mean, just walking into PBA on the press level on the court level there's just something to that i I don't know what it is uh but every time i kind of get goosebumps walking in there like it's something else i got to do it a couple of times last year for state basketball and state volleyball um doing some high school coverage but man getting to do that again this year this last weekend a couple of times that if that felt really good yeah it's different and Way different from high school basketball. And the thing that I'm really looking forward to is regaining that again, especially as we get into conference and Big Ten play, because if last weekend is any indication, and we're going to get more into that, of course, this is a Nebraska team that will definitely be competitive all year. And in 2019, when I first covered the team, there was a lot of energy in the beginning. But, you know, after you lose to uh, UC Riverside and things kind of go off the rails, there's only so much uh, fan morale that can be expected. So I'm really looking forward to PBA being rocking all year, and I think that's going to be something really I mean, fun. based off the energy we got Sunday from, like, maybe 30 to 40% full. Yeah. I mean, I, and again, like, considering the, you know, the level of talent that the Huskers will be facing in the non-conference schedule, I don't know how often we're going to see that thing 100% full in the non-con. I think we can see, guarantee that Creighton is going to be pretty cool. I was going to say, like, but we're, other than we're that, recording this on November 3rd. We're less than two weeks away from Nebraska-Creighton. And that is, much like a Nebraska-Iowa football game, that is a game that I have yet to cover, a Nebraska-Creighton basketball game. So I'm really, really looking forward to that, too. That's Fast approaching, and I can't wait to see the energy level that PBA brings. Even on a Tuesday night, I know it'll be. It'll yeah, be I mean, we're less than a week from college hoops, and the season opener for Nebraska is next Tuesday. Uh, I'm not actually writing that night, but I'm going to be there, and I'm going to bring my laptop, and I'm also going to have uh, Michigan State, and I think it's Kansas, right? Yeah. Michigan State and Kansas on on another tab, but yeah. I'm I, obviously going to be watching that you know, the Huskers on Tuesday. Yeah, no, that's it's it's going to be great. The most wonderful time of the year is when is when college basketball starts, and a weird little scheduling quirk. Um, Nebraska starting on the ninth, I think, play like for a bunch of Tuesdays in a row. It's a weird little like thing and quirk, but you have the ninth against Western Illinois, the 16th against Creighton, the 23rd against Tennessee State, and that's the entire month of November. So get ready for Tuesday night Nebraska basketball because it's going to happen a lot. Well, and then, too, I think Nebraska women's basketball opens that same day, but at, like, noon. Yeah, that's, that, that is a very odd start time. I don't know who's in charge of new, making a, a basketball game noon. Maybe there's some COVID-19 protocols that still go into play and some disinfecting that needs to happen, but that's the only reason I can, you know justify a start time like that because it's and weird they have, so they have one more noon tip it's december the 22nd which is actually my birthday <laughs> against wyoming uh that's a noon tip but that's yeah. a long ways away well, and a and lot it, of the earlier afternoon starts are on the weekend so the weekday 
early start is weird. Yeah, that's a thing that college basketball teams do close to holidays, though, I feel like. like mm, right. From an Oklahoma State perspective, I remember, like, OSU would play random noon games on a Wednesday against, like, A&M Corpus Christi in mid-December. I mean, I think that's kind of one of those things where, since it's around the holidays anyways, like, you're probably not going to get that big of a crowd regardless. Might as well knock it out at noon. I don't know. Well, uh, speaking of from an Oklahoma State perspective, this is certainly something that uh, Landon is not a fan of from this last week. And, man, I I don't know. I can't honestly say I'm a fan either, and I'm going to just kind of let Landon take over on this. But Oklahoma State has their postseason ban uh, appeal denied for 2022 and man in Mike Boynton Jr.'s press conference the head coach of the Hoke or not the Cowboys uh man you could you could really sense the emotion today it was not a good day for really college basketball fans in general to have to see somebody go through that well the NCAA continues to prove its utter incompetence and lack of self-awareness and lack of understanding for how college athletics works, and, and, and. It really is depressing that we're sitting here in the year 2021 after student-athletes can process and make profit off their name, image, and likeness, and all these good things that the NCAA has seemingly done in the past six months, it's now going back and eliminating all of that goodwill it's made. Just a couple of days ago, Illinois starting center Kofi Coburn, who has a real shot to win the Wooden Awards, one of the best players in college basketball this upcoming year, was suspended for three games for selling some of his merch, like, what, a week early before they were allowed to profit off of NIL? And today's ruling is just a complete and utter disappointment. I mean, I don't know what the NCAA is expecting from schools, and this is, you know, kind of tying this back into Nebraska because... You know, people, I guess, kind of forget that there still is sort of an NCAA investigation lingering over the Nebraska football program. Right. Um, Oklahoma State cooperated with the NCAA from every single step of this investigation. For those that aren't really aware of the details here, this this stems from an incident in 2017-18, I believe, when there was a payment of $300 by an assistant coach, Lamont Evans, to an Oklahoma State senior at the time, Jeffrey Carroll, who was about to enter his name in the NBA draft. The money was for, hey, you should choose X agent. Right when the punishment was announced, Evans was fired, and Carroll was suspended, and OSU cooperated with the NCAA through this investigation. There were details that came out today that I didn't even know about, like the day before a home bedlam game last year that Oklahoma State won over Oklahoma. Mike Boynton was in Atlanta with the NCAA, and now the NCAA has decided to punish a group of kids. None of them were associated with the team when this incident happened, Boynton was not the head coach. In fact, it was Brad Underwood, who is now Illinois' coach, interestingly enough. And it's just a cruel and damning indictment of the NCAA putting down a hammer for no reason and just showing its lack of consistency. Yes. there. I mean, in the last couple of years now, this FBI-NCAA probe thingy is really heating up at, at schools like Auburn, Arizona, LSU, Louisville even, and you've still got Blue Bloods without, with questionable um, you know, NCAA investigations pending as well, like at Kansas, there's always that threat. And the fact that those schools are getting away seemingly with slaps on the wrist while a hammer 
of a punishment is being dropped upon Oklahoma State is just mind-boggling to me. It's disappointing. It's frustrating from a fan's perspective because Oklahoma State was loading up to have another really, really good team, even without Cade Cunningham. And the fact that this decision came so long after this appeal makes me wonder, did the NCAA really just care about their bottom line profits from 2021 March Madness wanting to include Cade Cunningham in Oklahoma State and from there not really caring about what happens to the kids down the line? It just is another example of the NCAA not putting the student-athlete's perspective first and putting their own bottom line and reputation first. It's a group of dinosaurs that are making these decisions. This committee sucks. Mike Boynton's press conference, if you haven't got the opportunity to watch it, was really cool, really heartfelt. Build the man a statue at GIA. Uh, it's really it was really inspiring to hear. I've never seen a school be so openly combative. If you look through Oklahoma State's basketball's Twitter feed, pretty much every single thing is a retweet calling the NCAA out. And I've never seen a coach under investigation like this and a wrong investigation directly criticize specific members of the decision making board for their roles. So it was really cool to see that sort of response. But well, I'm, and there's I'm just so much disgusting behavior. It is. You know, like, for example, and and this might be on the team committee, um, but scheduling hearings on the day of a Bedlam game. Right. Scheduling a hearing on a day of a match with, or a game with Kansas. Yeah. I mean, just outright petty, um, just kind of disgusting behavior, really. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And, you know, there are three groups of people, at least, um, in this world who have no accountability. Uh, politicians, officials, and the NCAA. And I just, it's just, it's so, it's, it's like, I wish, you know, I wish there was a way for other organizations in college basketball to kind of stand up for Oklahoma State here because this is, this is garbage. I mean, yeah. this is absolute garbage. And there's so many things about college athletics. I love college athletics. In fact, I think college athletics in so many ways are better than professional sports because of the fan bases. Because where do you see rabid fans? I mean, in the NFL, okay, maybe you have the Bills fan base. Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs, Colts. But to me, like, they're not comparable to some yeah. of these college football or college football or college basketball fan bases. And so the fans are so much better and there's so many more teams and generally I feel like in some situations there's more parity and there's all these things that I like about it, but there are so many things on the administrative side whether it's the rankings which we'll get into later this week. Um, but like so many things on the administrative side that are wrong with college athletics that makes it hard for me to fully put that above professionals and it's fundamentally broken and nobody from that perspective seems to care because at the end of the day it's stupid and the reason i love college athletics so much and get so passionate about it is because i care and i want these things to change i've been involved in college athletics now for a better close to four years i've covered it that entire time been a fan of course of oklahoma state forever and it's just it's disappointing to me and even with regards to Oklahoma State's decision, even seeing like national college basketball reporters like your John Rothsteins, your Dick Vitals, who is battling cancer right now and is still finding time to tweet about just the idiocy that of the NCAA's punishment here, your Matt Norlanders, Jay Billis's, Fran Fraschilla's, like there is na- there is nationwide outrage for what the NCAA is doing here and. It would be cool to see, 
I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing how Oklahoma State responds. I'm certainly interested in helping out however I can because it's dumb. And, you know, I, one of the things I look forward to every March, at least I haven't been able to in the last couple of years because I've been in Indianapolis, but is watching Oklahoma State at the, the Big, Te- Big 12 tournament. It's been a cool thing for me to get together with some family, go watch basketball in Kansas City. And I mean, they're taking all that away for 300 bucks. And the thing mm. that, like... That, I think that might be the most ludicrous thing. Yeah. Can you play in the damn thing. Big 12 tournament? $300. It's $300. How petty do you have to be? I mean, and Kofi Cokeburn, too. Like, that thing is insane on another level. Like, I'm just, I, it's like, you can tell, like, the NCAA is losing its power over college athletics, and these bureaucrats in the league offices in Indianapolis or wherever, you know, are just trying to hold on to their power in any way they can and you know it's just so so disgusting yeah it's gross and i mean boynton even said it like there's probably a group of people in indianapolis today that are celebrating and it's Mm -hmm. true like i don't know there are so much so many other schools that that deserve so much worse i mean LSU, the fact that Will Wade is still able to hold a job, and it's become a running joke at this point, the level of infractions and the things that he said. There was a documentary that came out over quarantine about, you know, the FBI's investigation into college basketball. And Will Wade was like one of the central characters in the story. And the things that he was caught on wiretap saying, how is he still a college basketball coach? And yet you want to do this to to Mike Boynton and a group of players that are undeserving of it? The NCAA is complete and utter trash. It's broken, and the day it is dissolved will be a glorious one for college sports. It needs to go. Its power is clearly waning and it's trying to do anything it can to establish some sort of control that it's clearly not having and it it it's it's terrible it, it's disgusting it's awful it does so many things wrong from this crap on the men's side to its lack of supports for women's sports and everything in between it's a completely and utter failed organization and today's just another impact of that and it's having a direct impact on a group of players who are innocent and not culpable and that's the thing that makes me mad the most so while we're talking about more Off the pedestal administrative <laughs> crap uh here on scarlet fever grant hansen and landon word by the way pj flex signed through 2028 wild uh, but that's interesting. Uh, just a note for today. Totally unrelated. But college football playoff rankings came out last night. And, man, talk about institutional um, issues, bias, whatever you want to call it. Man, it's interesting because I think everybody before the BCS died thought having a non-computer rank everything was going to make it better. And It's made it worse. Man, this committee... Uh, I, I don't know what we need. I don't know if we need a committee of of journalists. Um, you know, I feel like this committee of former coaches and administrators, there's a lot of freaking bias there, man. There is a lot. So let's go through the teams that would be in the playoff as of today. We'll give you the top eight because everything else below it, there's just a couple of notes that I can give you. Um so here are the top eight in order, eight to one. Oklahoma is ranked eighth. I think this is actually a team they got right. Michigan at seven. I think that's right. Um, Cincinnati at six. Oh my God. Eight and oh, Cincinnati is sixth in this ranking. Ohio State is fifth, seven and one. Oregon 
is the first team in the playoff or at seven and one or rather last team in number four. Michigan State number three at eight and zero. Alabama is second at seven and one, and then of course Georgia number one at eight and zero. And I can't tell you exactly how I would want to rank these these teams outside of one and in, in outside of one. I think Alabama is probably four on my list. Um, number two Cincinnati, and then number three maybe Michigan State. Um, today, I don't know. I don't think that's how it's going to finish, but that's how I would put it today. Um, so that's my thoughts on that. Also, a couple of notes in the back five or so of the of the poll. Minnesota is twentieth at six and two with that ugly loss to Bowling Green still on their uh, resume. Wisconsin at five and three is twenty first, and Iowa at six and two is twenty second. So yeah. Lots of well, what horrendous that mean, awfulness. Well, here. what that means is also from again tying this back into a Nebraska perspective here is Nebraska's th- final three opponents are going to be ranked probably right. Uh, so there's Yay. that, I guess. How <laughs> yeah, how, I mean, I mean like it makes according a to this weird, stupid committee's ranking. You know, the but, funny thing is this team's games this year. It, their worst games of the year have been against terrible teams. Yeah, so which is so weird. And awful. There we go. Now now they're all ranked. So Yeah, maybe that's some solace for Husker fans. Maybe. I don't know. But, I, again, Oregon at number four. Are you freaking kidding me? Well, the college football playoff committee, what it's clear that it's trying to do is establish this sort of, like, head-to-head matchup consistency, which I can't appreciate because Oregon is one spot above Ohio State, a team it beat. Um a little bit further down, my Oklahoma State Cowboys are 11th, one spot above Baylor, who we've beat. Uh, so you can see that this sort of like, oh, Mississippi State beat Kentucky, right? Mississippi State's one spot above Kentucky, who it beat. So you can see that this sort of like head-to-head match, Wisconsin is one spot above Iowa, who it beat. So you can see throughout the poll, like, Oh, my God. Again, Fresno State, one spot above San Diego State, who it beat. Last one. Um, You can see that there's some sort of this, like, head-to-head matchup thingy trying to be established here, but it's it's just weird. Oregon is not the fourth-best team in college football. No, not even close. They've looked really, really bad since beating Ohio State, losing to a really terrible Stanford team who just lost to a really terrible Washington team. Should have been an indictment enough. That's one of the worst— losses I would say of the season for a top 10 team uh it's it's very up there with with you know some of the others that we've seen Bama's lost to A&M so so I think the two most appalling things in that top four are Oregon and Alabama yeah I think Alabama's probably four right now but the thing is Alabama is going to lose in the SEC championship game and still probably make the playoffs and that they shouldn't Two losses. Losses matter for a freaking reason. Yeah. You know, I, that I, it's so annoying to me, and it's true, too, that I think this committee in a lot of ways, and it happens with officials, I think, in, in the Big Ten. You know, I think officials try to officiate certain games in certain ways to keep certain teams in it, uh, i.e. Illinois-Penn State from a couple of weeks ago to make sure that Penn State was still ranked to play Ohio State the next week. Um, officials do it. And I think the committee does it, too, where they're like, well, we're going to rank teams so that when they match up against each other, that'll create the best ratings and the best. It's garbage. And, you know, is I think if I had to rank the teams today, Georgia number one, I would put Cincinnati at two. And the reason being, this roster, which returns 20 of 22 starters and a number of super seniors, 
took the Georgia roster from a year ago, they were one bad possession away from beating Georgia. Yeah. And proving to everybody that a group of five team can certainly challenge some of the best in the Power Five. So Cincinnati, to me, is still number two. And, you know, the, the fact that they're at six and are eight and oh means that they don't control their destiny as an undefeated team to get into the playoff. That's horrible. I mean, that's absolute garbage. And then you look at, okay, so Alabama for me is probably four. And then the number three spot, that's a toss-up. I put Michigan State in there right now, even though I don't think they're better than Ohio State and Oregon. But based off of the record they've had this year, they are, right? And Ohio State will play Michigan State later in the year. We're going to find out. But I can't put a 7-1 Ohio State team that lost to Oregon ahead of 8-0 Michigan State to beat Michigan. I can't do that. So really the only change that I'm making is pulling Oregon out and putting Cincinnati in. But again, that's the most appalling thing to me about all this. Cincinnati's argument from the start has been the way this system currently works, there is no way for a team at their level to make the college football playoff. And by putting them at six in this first ranking, the committee proved Cincinnati right, that the system is currently broken. The other crappy thing that the committee didn't do was rank another AAC team that was very deserving, like SMU or Houston. I know that Houston won that game against SMU. Huge win uh, for them. Could potentially set up like a Cincy-Houston championship, which would be fun. Cincinnati, if we're looking at this by top 10 wins, Alabama has zero top 10 wins and a loss to Texas A&M, who is currently 14th in these rankings. Oregon has one top 10 win over Ohio State, who's right behind it in the rankings. Ohio State has zero top 10 wins. Yep. Cincinnati has a top 10 win at Notre Dame. What is so hard about this? The whole thing is like, oh, well, it's schedule. Cincinnati put together a hard schedule. It's not Cincinnati's fault that Indiana football has completely gone off the rails and is terrible this year. Last season, Indiana was a team that finished the year ranked, and Cincinnati was well within its means to have them on their schedule next year in Bloomington. Penix was playing. That was still early season Indiana that was kind of at the peak of its powers. So Cincinnati has... They put together a hard non-conference schedule, a quality one at that. They played a rival in Miami of Ohio, FCS Murray State, but then you get games against Indiana and Notre Dame. Big-time schools. Yep. On the road. Beat them both. If Cincinnati runs the table, Tulsa at USF hosts SMU, which is by no means a gimme. SMU is a very good football team still. At ECU, which will which has tricky potential, and then an, an AAC championship win over Houston, it's mind-boggling to me that that probably won't be enough. Now, I will say this. Based on the way things are looking to shape up, I would not be stunned if Oregon drops another game and they really, will. They really will switches this, drop co- this conversation. Game. I don't know if it's going to be at Washington, but I can sure as hell guarantee you they're probably going to lose at Utah on November 20th. Circle that, which would you know, kind of take care of things a little bit, but it's just sad. Bama is, 
I don't know. There Things can get weird. And the thing about this poll, as mad as I've been about it, is that there's a lot of time left in the season. Alabama has a really daunting game that I didn't think would be very daunting at the end of its schedule on the road at a scorching hot Auburn team that will be by no means a gimme. Yep. Uh, you know, and, you know. Even Bam- look at Arkansas on the 20th. You know, they've. I mean, I don't think Arkansas is going to win, but it could be close. Yeah. And that's a team that was ranked pretty highly at the start of this year. It's just sad because what this college football playoff needs is new faces. And, I mean, these four teams, they've all made a college football playoff, yes? Michigan State has. Yeah, once. Oregon has. Bama and Georgia. So, it's different faces, but, man, Cincinnati, so, Cincinnati deserves the thing this. To me and is, it's crap that they're not included. It's, yes. it's cheap, it's a low blow, and it's clearly apparent what the agenda is. And the best thing is College Game Day is going to be in Cincinnati this week. I hope that, I mean, the agenda's, the jig's already begun with even some of these ESPN college football reporters be like, oh, well, you know, Cincinnati schedule. Like, it's clear that there's an agenda here. They're not even trying to hide it. And I really hope that Cincinnati, the, the people of the great state of Ohio, show out in full force and rightly are calling out ESPN because of it. Because it's stupid and it's cowardly. Yes. And this is a team that is one of the four best in college football. And I think, for my money right now, I would take Cincinnati over Oregon and over Michigan State. To me, this is would be more horrifying if an undefeated Cincinnati team did not make the playoff, this would be more horrifying by far than the Scott Frost 2017 season at UCF. Because yeah. that team only that team did not have a top 10 win. Their best win of the year was a 62-55 win over Memphis in double overtime. Now granted they beat Auburn at the end of the year, but they beat USF. And but yeah. No. I mean, it, the, and so what this ranking says to me is this says two things. One, if Alabama loses in the SEC Championship game, they'll still make the playoff. Yeah. That's what this first thing says. Second thing it says, doesn't matter if Cincinnati goes undefeated. If the rest of the teams in front of them don't drop a game before the end of the year, Cincinnati's still not getting in. Yeah. And that's garbage. It is. Well, I mean, looking at it from an optimist perspective and from a Cincinnati backers perspective, Ohio State, sorry, Nebraska-centered, I don't think it's going to happen, but Ohio State has two real opportunities to drop a game. Michigan State comes to the horseshoe, and Ohio State goes at Michigan. That's how its season closes. And I think that there's a real shot that Ohio State drops one of those games, um, and then is set up with a pretty interesting Big Ten championship potentially. But if a two-loss SEC team gets in over Cincinnati, shut it all down. It's broken. I'd rather go back to two because that's almost more fair to me than keeping out a team that's plenty deserving because of this this hidden bias and hidden agenda. Yeah. It's, All right. Anyways, a couple more uh, takes that I had for the poll really quickly. Oh, yeah. Fire um, them off. Wake Forest at nine. That's awesome. I'm glad to see Wake Forest as a team that's actually getting some respect from the committee. They've played very well. If you haven't had the chance to watch Wake play football this weekend or this year – if slash when potentially Nebraska becomes a non-competitive game on Saturday, flip over. They have a huge game at UNC this weekend that I'll talk more about in 1-2-NU. Um, I was really dis- one of the more reasons why I was disappointed to see Cincy at six is I think the G5 race for the New Year's six spot in position for that bowl game is really interesting. The highest ranked uh, non-power team. Cincinnati would get that spot right now, which sucks, and that's not how it should be. But 
looking at other G5 teams ranked, BYU currently leads that that pack right now uh, at 15th. So that's something to monitor. Fresno State and San Diego State are well within that race, too. A couple of other surprises. No Coastal, which I thought was weird. Uh, kind of thought, kind of expected to see Coastal Carolina ranked in there at some point. And also no UTSA, which goes back to the whole G5 thingy. Uh, UTSA is, is 8-0. They also have a huge, huge football game this weekend at UTEP. Huge rivalry. I was kind of, people were wanting college game day to go to it, but... Uh, UTSA has wins at Illinois and at Memphis and at Western Kentucky, for that matter. Uh, that is a team that's ranked 16th in the coaches' poll and unranked in the college football playoff committee's poll, which and it's one of the biggest ranking discrepancies, I think, of all of it. So, rank UTSA, cowards. Um, they deserve it. So, that was the last take I had. Yeah. That's all it. All right. Well, that wraps a oddly long yeah. first segment, but that's okay. One, two, and you is coming up next. You're listening to Scarlet Fever. We'll bring it back for you with our college football picks for this week, then go into men's hoops right after that. All right, folks, welcome back to Scarlet Fever. Time now for one, two, and you. And, man, rough week. Really rough, rough time last time. Uh, both of us go 0-3. We'll just go ahead and blame Nebraska for not covering that 7.5-point spread against Purdue. Ha. Anyway, um, yeah, bleak stuff. Florida State didn't cover. That um, was a bad beat and a half. Because of the, uh, as Scott Van Pelt describes it, the pitchy-pitchy-woo-woo, Florida State that was a beautiful la- segment. lateraled the ball around its its own field and eventually into its own end. Man, Scott, Scott Van Pelt is probably like the only true like powerhouse talent ESPN has left. And it's really good though. Yeah. Like his show, I forgot. Like I forget sometimes how good Sports Center is with F- SVP every night. And then I watch it. And I'm like, holy cow, this is incredible TV. I don't want to turn this off. Yeah, he's he's the best. But that was very depressing, and that really just set the tone for my bad week. Hopefully, we'll rebound. I think I- I'm confident. Based looking at our picks, I think we're gonna. I think we got this. All right. So Landon is 11, 15, and one, coming off an 0 and 3 week. I am 14 and 13, also coming off an 0 and 3 week. Landon, your first pick again. Remember, folks, picking against here two college football games besides Nebraska. And the Husker game. Yeah, uh, Wake Forest at UNC's game number one. The complete and utter disrespect for oh my college gosh, football I didn't even playoff. See this line. Top 10, Wake Forest. What are we doing here? North Carolina certainly has a case for being one of the most disappointing teams in college football this year. I mean, if you can jog your memories all the way back to September, it feels like a difficult exercise for me at this point. Um, but <laughs> UNC was ranked very highly at that to start the season. And... Like even bordering a to- on a top ten th- team, I think I I can't remember, but I think UNC was close to the top ten of the first AP poll. And while you certainly have to respect a favorite at home, Wake Forest is playing really really good football right now, even defensively. After giving up what it seemed like one billion points against Army in the game that finished like seventy to fifty six, uh, the Deeks limited Duke. Yes, I know, I'm aware it's Duke, but it's still. They limited an opponent to seven points the week after that, which is really, really good and a good sign of progress if Wake Forest is really to make a run at this thing. I like Wake to keep it within the number. North Carolina's favored by two and a half points and probably win the game outright. I'm going Wake Forest 41, North Carolina 33. My first pick, much like Landon's, is a disrespect pick. Michigan State coming off a huge win against Michigan. That was probably the best college football game of the week. There was not a whole lot of games that were much closer, really, in terms of level of play to that one. 
uh, because that was really good. Big noon kickoff last week was fantastic. Sparty comes out on top over the Wolverines, and they head to Purdue this weekend, and they're only favored by three. A field goal favorite against Purdue. Are you freaking kidding? All right, listen, Kenneth Walker is just going to go off. I, I just, I mean, I really don't have any other explanation. He does it every week. He's really only been shut down once against Nebraska. I think there was maybe one other time he was held under 100 yards rushing this year. Um, so, yeah, no way in, no way. No way. Yeah. I, I don't understand this line Spo- at all. Spoiler makers? I mean, if that's the only thing that would you be, could, that's the only Purdue case you could make. I mean, it would be the second top ten upset, top five upset. In fact, top three yeah. upset for Purdue on the year. Well, the thing you have to consider is Michigan State's not ranked number two, so there's no way Purdue can win. Right, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, okay, maybe there's some argument to be made that you know that State comes down a little bit after a big game against Michigan from the week before, but I don't see it. Thirty to eleven, they cover the number certainly. Michigan State over Purdue. I like that pick um, a lot. Road Dog Week continues for me with pick number two here in College Station, Auburn and Texas A&M. I do not enjoy um, backing Bo Nix to do things because it is always <laughs> certainly a hashtag experience, but I've been really low on A&M this year, and even after that huge win over Alabama, I mean, Texas A&M senses beaten bad Mizzou and bad South Carolina. That doesn't wow me. Auburn somehow is in really good form, and I really like Tank Bigsby. He's one of my favorite running backs in college football and really underrated as the whole, as a, on the whole on a national scale. I think the game's decided by a field goal um, or less, but Auburn definitely will keep this within the number. Uh, and again, like Wake Forest, I don't think Auburn is going to win outright because Bo Nix, but I definitely think Auburn can cover the spread, which is A&M by 4.5, so I'm going Texas A&M 27, Auburn 26. My second pick, this one I'm not super confident in. It's Kentucky at, or rather, hosting Tennessee. Now, Kentucky's come down a little bit since their game against Georgia, and honestly, that's understandable, right? There's not a team that's probably more physical, faster, stronger in college football right now than the Georgia Bulldogs. But Tennessee is an interesting team, too, and while their fans may suck, their football team is at least good. And I think Kentucky's in that good category, too. Now, they're only a one-point favorite. I think I like Tennessee here to upset and win outright against Wandale Robinson and the Wildcats. And, you know, I can't fully explain it. I just got a feeling here. And, again, I know for those of you listening, after an 0-3 week, I just got a feeling is probably not good enough. But I like the Vols here over the Wildcats 23-21. Nice pick. I think that game is certainly a toss-up. You can go either way, but Tennessee has actually been pretty impressive for me so far this year. So I I can't say that I I don't back it. I can certainly see it happening. Okay, time for some terror, folks. We are past Halloween, and Ohio State's coming town to take on the Huskers on Saturday. The Nebraska pick, Ohio State and Nebraska. Ohio State a 15-point favorite today. I think that line has come down slightly. It might be 14.5 now. Uh, and surprisingly enough, this is the lowest line that Nebraska has had against Ohio State in the Scott Frost era. Yeah. Yeah, that checks out. I remember it was 22 and a half last year, I think. Um, college, the college game day line wasn't lower? Yeah, it wasn't. Really? Yes. That surprises me. I thought that was hovering around two touchdowns, too, but I, I don't recall. 
That's interesting, I guess. I don't know what that... Not like it's helpful. Oddly oddly enough, though, Scott Frost teams have actually been really good against the spread, except for when they're the favorites. They've been really good as covering as dogs, uh, which is interesting. Especially like multiple score dogs, which has been something I've been thinking about a lot as I've been trying to circle on a prediction here. But well, where'd you land? On Ohio State. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there are a lot of ways that November can go, and I have been sorting through this, and a lot of them aren't very pleasant. Ohio State is very, very good. Ohio State's one of the best teams in college football, I think. Uh, it's a team that certainly, I think, has a good shot at being in the college football playoff when all of this is said and done. And I think also that Ohio State has made a real good habit of just pounding teams in the Big Ten that have not been on the same level of playing field. And I think that the same thing is going to happen on Saturday. I've tried to work through these scenarios in my head, but I keep coming back to the fact that I I don't see it happening, unfortunately. I would love to be proven wrong. I would. But this Ohio State team is too talented. I think that their receivers are way too good to be slowed down for the course of a 60-minute game. I think that their defense is incredible. And I think that the playing, the, what Nebraska is operating on right now, you know, what Nebraska is, is a team that's unable to get to the quarterback, is a team that has had, is showing glaring deficiencies in being able to stop the run, you letting a Purdue team that hadn't eclipsed 100 yards since UConn uh, run for 100 against Nebraska. I mean, what do you, what do you think is going to happen when Travion Henderson's getting the ball? And... While Nebraska's secondary has been good, Ohio State's receivers... Ohio State has three NFL receivers, and Nebraska has one NFL corner in Cam Taylor Britt. I think there are way too many mismatches, and as optimistic as I am that Nebraska probably will put a couple of drives together and score points, I don't see how Nebraska doesn't stop Ohio State from scoring 50 points. So, because of that, I'm going Ohio State 52, Nebraska 20. And I don't like to do it. I would certainly, I don't want to see what I think is going to happen happen. I mean, it would be terrible. It's a nationally televised game. Nebraska is fighting for every inch of its life when it comes to bowl eligibility. And now a seventh loss doesn't completely eliminate it, but it pretty like much 90, does. 90%. Especially does. if it's embarrassing. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of have a sense that this weekend's going to be the end, just in terms of optimism this season and reaching a bowl game and stuff, but I'd love to be proven wrong, I just think there are too many mismatches for Nebraska to be able to compete, and that's why I'm predicting an Ohio State victory in convincing manner. Hey, I'm gonna steal your line here, because I think it's a pretty good one. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. And that's the way I look at this thing this weekend. Yes, it's 15 points, but you look at the schedule for Ohio State the last few weeks, and since that really weird win over Tulsa, 41 to 20, or I, I, it was a really freaking weird game. Or yeah, Tulsa, yeah. yeah, it was just weird. They won 41 to 20, but it was a lot closer than that. C.J. Stroud did play, 
But since then, they have really taken care of business against bad teams. 59-7 against Akron. 52-13 against Rutgers. 66-17 against Maryland. 54-7 against Indiana. Now, Penn State, I don't know if Penn State's a bad team or not. I think you've got a coach who's got his eyes turned towards Southern California and not towards the football field there with Penn State. And so that could be part of why this team isn't performing at the level it should be. But 33-24 over Penn State. Now you turn to Nebraska, and let's be honest, folks, Nebraska's a bad football team. I mean, period. We can't look. Fans and journalists alike cannot look at the games against Oklahoma, Michigan State, and Michigan and say this team was close because they couldn't take care of business against the bad teams, Minnesota and Purdue. And so you have to, as a, well, quote-unquote, better in this situation, have to look at Nebraska and say this is a bad team. What has Ohio State done to bad teams this year? They've decimated them. They've taken care of business, and Ohio State's going to win 45-10. to 10. Yeah. I don't know what I would call Nebraska at this point. I don't know if bad's the word. I think disappointing is one that's more like it because you've seen all this expectation and promise um, in some of these games, early season games against really good opponents, against top 10 teams, and then you turn that around with just like really disheartening, flat, uninspired and lifeless performances against teams that it's favored against to beat. And as a result, you're left with this, we're in November, and I'm still really not quite sure what to make of Nebraska. It wouldn't shock me if Ohio State came in and won 49-7. to It also wouldn't shock me if Nebraska and Ohio State were tied in the second half. I mean, I'm just going with what I think is probably more likely to occur, which is the former in this instance, but... Nebraska's really left me with just you don't really know what's hap- going to happen week to week, and that's never really a good sign of what you want a football team to be at this point, um, you know, in, in year four of Scott Frost's tenure. Well, it really is you know, not and you'll good. notice that we've barely spent any time talking about the football team this week, and, I mean, there's a reason, um, because there's not a whole lot to say. You know, you can't – we can't sit here and break down – the discussions that the players had with the media this week or what Scott said to the media this week because what did he say last week? He said, this team is focused. What, did he, what Even Trev said last week, this team is focused. I'd be shocked if they didn't come out. And I'm not saying Trev's a liar, but I'm saying what I'm saying is it's really hard to believe that anything that is said during the week by anybody on this team will translate to the football field on Saturday. Any practice that is seen by anybody over the week would translate to the football field on Saturday. And that, again, to me, is a characteristic of a bad football program. Yeah, and even, like, in my column postgame, I was just kind of done with it all. I mean, there's really not much else you can say about Nebraska other than what's what's currently in front of you. Like, try as you want to spin this and, you know, look at the optimistic side of things, but, I mean, Nebraska is staring three and nine. Three and nine, right in the face. Its record has only gotten worse under under Frost and not better. Nebraska is staring its worst season since, like, the 50s. Right in the eye. Right, make a direct eye contact. And guess what? Nebraska has never beaten the three opponents left on its schedule under Frost. Not once. So what optimism and what point is there of breaking down the same thing that we've seen every single week, spare Northwestern, Buffalo, and Fordham, and breaking down things where the outcome's kind of a given. I mean, Wisconsin, 
Maybe they probably shouldn't be ranked 20th, but they're playing very good football right now. It's wild to say this, but Nebraska's best chance for a victory is probably going to come against Iowa. I wouldn't have believed that, you know, if you would have told me. Yeah, two weeks ago. Iowa looks completely unfocused and dead in the water, but you know they're going to be up for it because it's a rivalry game. So who knows? I I think everybody's ready to kick kick the crap out of Nebraska. I mean, I think I always feel like that. Oh, it just it doesn't inspire much confidence and. As a result, yeah, there's not much to talk about with the football program because the football program hasn't earned the right to be talked about that much. I mean, with 11 minutes left in the game, down two scores, Memorial Stadium, the floodgates are open. People are leaving. What does that say? People are tired of being embarrassed is what it says. What does it say? I mean, I don't know what – I mean, I I haven't lived here my whole life. I've lived in Nebraska for three and a half years. People know the jig's up. People are sick of it, and – I mean, people will come to the Ohio State game because it's a big game. It's on Fox. It's at 11 a.m. It's nationally televised and all that I mean, fun I have stuff. Friends, I have friends who have told me the only reason they're coming to this game on Saturday is to see Chris Olave. Yeah. For Ohio State. Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. I mean, they're, they're like, I'm CJ coming Stroud. to watch some NFL players play. It's it's depressing. You you yeah. after a while you run out of adjectives and you run out of things to say. I feel like I'm writing the same freaking column every week with yep. each loss because it's the same Which is things why that it's are hard happening to talk about it too. And the same things that are making mistakes. It's just a pointless exercise. And yep. uh, I don't know. It, 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 it you run out of words. It's a it's I'm a rock bottom level that you know, I think people thought that the last year cuz I have lived here my whole life that the last year of Mike Riley was rock bottom for this program, and apparently there's still ways to go. And maybe they'll win. Like, I've ran through my head, you know, just for the psyche uh, of the fan base, you know, because, it, because it's not good. It's not good for this state, period, where the football program is bad. It hurts literally everything um, in terms of dollars. So... You know, I, I like I've ran through my head. What would be the best for this football program on Saturday? Winning, winning, losing close, or getting blown out. I mean, I I mean every option honestly, kind of feels bad. And I I've, like I said, since as, you know, being a fan during the Mike Riley time, and now like trying to be more objective now, you know. And looking at it back on it from a fan's perspective, I don't think I've seen things like this since the Mike Riley Riley era. And I don't know if I've seen fan apathy at this level since then. So it's it's at an all-time low, but something that isn't at an all-time low, Husker men's hoops. We think. We'll find out. And we'll talk about it coming up next. You're listening to Scarlet Fever. He's Landon Wirt. I'm Grant Hanson. folks welcome back to scarlet fever and it's time to dig into husker men's and women's hoops and both teams again open the season next tuesday and you know this just might be fun yeah i think it very much could be fun nebraska the the men look 
they look good. <laughs> I, I, okay, so a preface here. I knew going into this, again, I am dunking on every one of my Alonzo Verge take. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I was a truther from the summer, and he's here now, and you're welcome, because, of course, as I predicted, he's changed his game around. I didn't really agree with Tad Boyle's comments post-game after Nebraska's 82-67 win over Colorado that he was sort of the same offensive player that he'd see him when he was in, at Arizona State, and he played Colorado twice or three times or whatever it was, because... Alonzo Verge can pass the damn basketball, man. It's so impressive. The way he moves it quickly is and efficiently, and the connection he has with Derek Walker already is just awesome to watch. He's a great primary he's a great primary ball handler, of which Nebraska has many on this team, and he's just gonna be so fun to watch. But mm. I mean, the real take here is that yes, Colorado is a team that while picked to finish middle of the Pac-12 and probably be fighting for an NCAA tournament berth, and of course the Buffs made it last year, is going to be a team that's going to be going through an identity crisis, I think, a little bit to start next year. McKinley Wright was such a good player, and the f- losing him is going to be very difficult for Colorado to replace, at least early on. They'll figure it out, but it might not be in November or December. It might be in February or early March. Colorado's a good team, still. They're ranked 35th in the country, according to Penn Palm. And Nebraska dominated from dominated them from the jump. I mean, the Buffs got yep. within 12 a couple of times, but it was just really impressive. So what a I, waxing. So here's my thing. I went into that expecting a very close game. Yeah. And I went into that expecting... the Probably at the bottom of my list was Nebraska blows them out. Like, I, I, that was not something I expected at all. And, it, it, you know... It, at one point, leads were 30 to 9, 67 to 40. Um, you know, there's a point where I was willing to declare scoring droughts dead on my takes. That didn't prove to be true. And that might be the bigger red flag of anything. Um, but, man, I mean, that first half was really good. And, you, you know, you talk about if, if this team's midseason form was that first half performance. There's a pretty high ceiling for this group. I, I think I, I think generally there's a pretty high ceiling for this group. Um, you know, they got hosed on some officiating, I thought, at certain points. Um, but that didn't like they didn't brace basically break down when they when they had some tough calls go against them, right? So that was good. Uh, I, I think the leadership base for this group, at least initially here, seems to be good, right? Like, that's a very, very strong indicator for success in general, right? Like, you, you and I, 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 I asked that last question in the presser on Sunday afterwards of Alonzo. Uh, I did not expect the answer that he gave, yeah. you know, in which he said, talked about how much this team had been looking to finally stop battling against each other and actually get a real opponent to face. It makes sense, but yeah, no. I'm but like that answer was really encouraging Insightful, in terms of really. Yeah, of who he is and and the leadership he's going to be able to provide for this team because if he's your primary ball handler and your primary leader, that's a really good thing. Yeah, the good thing about Nebraska too is uh, we've said this before, but unlike Hoiberg teams of years past, there's people here that know the culture Derek Walker has been here for every year of Hoiberg's tenure, I think. Yeah, yeah I think yes, he, he was he, brought on as a, he, his redshirt year was the first year of this whole process. The, the story was him and Banton and McGowan's and how those three guys just 
would take the scout team and kind of wax the starters, but they couldn't play. And those three guys, er, not three guys now, but those two, Walker and McGowan's, have been here. They know how this works. They know what Hoiberg expects. And having those guys that are back and around around them, like your Latmayans and you know some of the guys further down the bench, even like Kobe Webster or Trevor Lakes, and etc. You have people that know what the expectation expectations are. They're familiar with the program, and it just helps out so much. This team is pretty experienced, dare I say. A lot of guys on this team with college basketball experience, even the quote unquote freshmen like your CJ Wilchers and your Keon Edwardses. It's a deep team. It's a, I think, a team that might be better than a lot of people expect, and I think it's a team that's very capable of not playing on the first day of the Big Ten tournament. The Everything that Nebraska wants to accomplish this year for the first time under Hoiberg is right in front of it. The last couple of years, we kind of knew it was going to happen. Maybe they'd rip off some non-conference wins, but when it came to Big Ten basketball, it was going to look like men against boys that have no clue what the hell they're doing at some points. Right Now, I think that this team is more than capable of competing with the quote-unquote big dogs in the Big Ten, and it has the size, athleticism, depth, and shooting ability to do so, four qualities that are instrumental in winning Big Ten games. And, of course, you'd, you'd pit Hoiberg, Fred Hoiberg, up against just about any coach in the Big Ten. This team is talented, it's deep, it's been impressive, and beating a team like it did with against Colorado, just winning like that, that can't that it has to inspire you going forward heading into this season because you know as we approach the regular season beginning and, and this time next week when we chat Nebraska will have a regular season game under yes, its belt exciting there might be a few expectations that we need to attach along with this team now the, it's not going to be crazy but this is a team that can rip up if you know if big 10 games start getting ripped off an nit berth is definitely in the picture for what this group can and probably should accomplish yeah i think think nit probably has to be the standard uh three things that i like and we'll move on to women's hoops because we are running out of time you're on scarlet fever grant hansen and landed wert three things i like one really good increase in volume and quality of shooters that's big because then you can actually space the floor like Fred has wanted to this whole time here. You don't have to have Delano Banton shooting threes. You don't have to have Trey McGowan's shooting threes. Okay? That's good. They can just focus, or obviously Banton's no longer here, but they can just focus on doing what they need to do to win. Okay? So I like that. Derek Walker I like a lot. I think Derek Walker in some ways is going to be the hinge on which this team's season turns. Because Derek is going to have some serious responsibilities coming up in Big Ten play. He's going to have to face Kofi Cokeburn. He's going to have to face Hunter Dickinson from Michigan. He's going to have to face the Boilermaker Bigs from Purdue. Okay, so Jack Eady. He has some. He has some big challenges ahead. And I think in a lot of ways, whether or not he can handle that right is going to be a big thing. And I guess the red flag would be rebounding. Rebounding was a struggle on Saturday or on Sunday against Colorado. Yeah. If that team doesn't get that cleaned up, Big Ten's got a lot of size and a lot of aggressive rebounders. That's a big, big, big red flag if they can't fix that in non-conference play. Good thing is they've got plenty of opportunities to do so, and a majority of uh, non-Power 5 opponents uh, to face in doing that. The biggest game on that non-conference schedule in the early part is Creighton on the 6th. 
15th. Let's talk a little bit about a, uh, Husker women's hoops before we leave. They just totally decimate Midland uh, on Monday. Of course, Midland is an NAIA program. But, man, is rooting for Amy Williams like the easiest thing in the world or what? I mean, she, she just works so hard. Her energy is infectious. And, again, this team has a lot of potential coming into this year. Yeah, kind of like the the men's team. The women's team is very deep and very talented. Um, a lot of it isn't established. It's a, it's a freshman class uh, for the women's side and a couple of transfers that don't really have that experience at the Division One level. But, man, they had the potential to be good. That This is a women's NIT team um, from a season ago that – you know, ended its season in style, really taking a really good Maryland team down to the wire in Indy at the Big Ten tournament. They're going to be, uh, they're going to be good. I think they have, yeah. def- they definitely have potential. The, the three the, Aussies, right? Yeah, that's fun too. The the thing that I'm looking at for them this season is how it's going to be able to compete with the cream, the creme de la creme in the Big Ten. <laughs> because last season, Nebraska was kind of able to handle the game it's, games it should and maybe rip off a ranked win or two. But a lot of the time, some of those games where Nebraska was playing ranked opponents, uh, those games weren't very competitive. So I'm looking to see how it, how it does there. But, I mean, gosh, what a have a debut, Alexis Markowski. Mm. Uh <laughs> 2021 Gatorade Player of the Year at Pius, a huge, uh, just barely off of a double-double uh, in his her first collegiate appearance. Um, they're going to be they're going to be fun to watch. And it's gonna be so I'm going to flip the script on you a little bit before we go because I think it's the other way around. I mean, I'm not concerned about how this team will play against quality opponents. That was their strength last year. They beat Northwestern twice. Yeah, right. Northwestern was North, really good. They Northwestern were right was the one there. That, 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 Jumped to my mind. They they were right there with Michigan. They lost by two. They beat Michigan State. They beat Ohio State. Both those teams were ranked last year. See, the the issue with this team a year ago was against the Minnesotas, the Illinois, and the Wisconsins. Because late down the stretch, they lost to Minnesota. They dropped one, I think, to Wisconsin at some point. Maybe it was earlier. No, I guess they didn't lose one to Wisconsin. I thought they did drop one uh, to the Badgers at some point. But Bad they're, away from and they're, home. They were right Bad there with Maryland. Is the, is the issue, I guess. Yeah. Three and eight last year. That's got to be something that's cleaned up. So, I mean, I, I think my thing is or, or Iowa. It's Iowa. Yeah. They Iowa. lost twice to Iowa, and Iowa was not good. Iowa will be. I mean, mm. Iowa was a tournament team. Last so, they, year. last year they played at the level of their competition, and when they played against really good opponents, they played really, really well. Yeah. And then they couldn't bring that same energy to some of the lesser opponents in the conference. That, to me, is the thing for this year to watch. Um, but either way, again, NIT tournament a year ago, and this year I think their standards have to be somewhere uh, in that same area. So a lot of fun ahead on the court for both teams. Don't forget, we didn't even get to talk about uh, Nebraska volleyball this week. Big matches, Illinois and Wisconsin coming up for the Cornhuskers. But that'll do it for us this week. Next week we'll be back. Uh, what we'll talk about kind of remains to be seen based off of the performances of some of these groups. We'll certainly talk about men's hoops and women's hoops because they open the season next week. Really exciting. Can't wait for that. Join us back here next week for Episode 12 of Scarlet Fever for Landon Wirt. I'm Grant Hanson. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next week. This has been Scarlet Fever.